Good evening, I'm Jerry Hudson, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the third session of the 52nd year of this great Martin Clinton Gordy Lecture Series. We really appreciate you being here, and it's, uh, it's, it's a tremendous series. It's a gift to the city of Tulsa from our congregation, and for those of you that are visiting with us, we really appreciate you being here and, and just know how welcome you are and how much we appreciate you being with us tonight. Uh, by the time we get to the third of these, you've heard the thanks a lot of times probably if you've been to the other one, so I will make the thanks a little, a little quicker, but we don't, it doesn't take away from the appreciation we have for all the people that make this uh, series happen and make it as successful as it is. It obviously starts with the very generous families of uh, Dr. Barton, Fred Clinton, and uh, Ivy and Bonna Gordy, and uh, their generous contributions that allow us to do this. Uh, we also give thanks to uh, the staff of the church, Brenda and all the associate ministers who also spend a lot of time and make this uh, really special to the Maranatha and Horizon Sunday School classes who do the dinners and uh, that was really good chili dinner tonight that we have. We've got spaghetti tomorrow night. Uh, obviously this choir that uh, adds so much. The music that is added to this series. There's never a speaker that, that I have a chance to to take back after the evening session that doesn't say, gosh, they just put a lot of special effort, Joel and Susan did, into picking out songs and adding the music to this program, and it really means a lot. So we so give thanks to the, to the choir. Uh, and we obviously uh, continue to thank Dr. Biggs for helping us find outstanding speakers. Uh, he, he, he as, as Phil said last night, we tried to stay a couple years ahead, and uh, Dr. Biggs was the, the person that helped us uh, identify, locate, and bring uh, Bishop uh, to, the, to the podium for this series. So thanks to all of the, the people, and again, to the people who help with the reception afterwards. We give thanks for the hard effort that goes into that. Uh, those of us that have been here for a while had heard the name uh, Tom Bickerton before, Bishop Tom Bickerton. Uh, Dr. Biggs uh, shared with us a story from a general conference, which, uh, and I've never been to a general conference, I don't think I ever want to go to one, because I, I understand it can be pretty boring and tedious and long, but he said that one of the general conference sessions right before lunchtime, uh, they were sitting there and all of a sudden they heard a, a basketball bouncing and coming down the center aisle was six foot seven Bishop Bickerton. And he came down the aisle and shared with them, all the, the people that were at the general conference, the story about, I think then it was uh, 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 Nets, and now it's, of course, Imagine No Malaria. But uh, it was a, the, the, the cause that Bishop Bickerton has spent so much time on. I encourage you to, to, to go to the Internet and Google Bishop Tom Bickerton and, and see all the places he's been and the times he's been to Africa. He's on his way to Africa shortly after he leaves here. Uh, but it's incredible, the places he's been, the work he's put into that. But anyway, so he walked down the aisle and he's bouncing the basketball, gave the presentation, and then what made it even a little bit more special, he said, you know, it's lunchtime. I don't think I can walk out of this hall and go get lunch without putting a $20 bill in this jar that I've got up here with me uh, that'll buy two nets. And, and he said, and I don't think any of the rest of you that are in, the, in this room before you leave to go to lunch should, should, I think all of you should come up and put a $20 bill in and buy two nets for this cause that I've just told you about. And I think $20,000 and some hungry Methodists later, they had uh, <laughs> filled up the jar. So really great cause. Uh, Bishop Bickerton has an undergraduate degree from Virginia, two undergraduate degrees, I think from Virginia Wesleyan, a Master of Divinity from Duke and a Doctor of Divinity at the United Theological School. He leads 800 congregations in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, 
You know, I think the word's going to get around to the speakers for the series that when they go to lunch, we get to go to lunch with them on Sunday after the presentation. I think they're going to start learning. Don't tell the committee too much stuff because it's going to come back to you in the introduction <laughs> after Phil uh, finds something. But this was a great story that I thought. And I th after last night when... Uh, uh, the message was so good, and uh, Dr. or Bishop Beckerson talked about uh, the, the a halo being too tight, and talked about loosen up, lighten up, and have some fun. He told us a story on himself. He said he's, I mean, he's a longtime Pittsburgh Pirate baseball fan, and uh, and it used to be in the old days the players stayed on one team for quite a while. Well, uh, Barry Bonds started in Pittsburgh, and then became a trader and went to the San Francisco Giants, left the Pirates. And Bishop Bickerton said, so he and his son decided that they were going to sit out in the left field. And uh, Bonds plays left, left field. They're going to sit in the left field bleachers and try to give him a little trouble for the fact that he left their beloved Pirates. So he said at some point during the game, uh, Barry Bonds was kind of crouched down, had his hands on his knees and his head down. And he yelled out to him, hey, Bonds, there's a, there's a baseball game going on. You ought to pay attention. And it was so loud that Bonds turned around. He's trying to look and see when that crazy fan that's up there among the 40,000 fans that had said that. But then the bishop said that oh, a couple of innings later, the concession manager for the left field stands came walking by and had a great big Coke to give to him. And he said, uh, he said, I didn't think a Methodist bishop had it in him to do that. <laughs> And, you know, he probably didn't think he could be recognized, but he's six foot seven, and he yelled loud enough for 40,000 uh, people for Bonds to hear him say that. But, uh, but I, I think you can say that that night uh, he followed his own advice and, and loosened up, lightened up, had some fun, <laughs> and that neither his halo nor his Pittsburgh Pirate baseball cap was on too tight that night. So it was, uh, it's a great story. It's a real honor and privilege to have him here with us. I know all of you. I had the number of people last night that said, wow, they were so touched and, and, and helped by what he had to say to us. So after a, 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 an anthem by our choir, it will be the third in the series of the Barton Clinton Gordy Lecture Series given by Bishop Tom Bickerton. Well, good evening. Good evening. You can do better than that. Good evening. Good evening. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. I hope that you're well tonight. I... Uh, 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 David shared with you earlier that I had this wonderful opportunity of having lunch with the staff today. And uh, just about every Sunday in western Pennsylvania, I have a chance to be in a different pulpit. And I have a chance to do on those Sunday mornings what I would like to do now. And that is to ask uh, whoever is on the staff here, would you just stand? Who's ever on the staff here, would you just stand? You, you folks are blessed with this exceptional group of servant leaders. And that's what I want you to do. They love you, and they care about you, and they work tirelessly for you. And I hope that you'll never be shy about expressing your thanks and putting your hands together and thanking God for the opportunity to have such a blessed group of people who watch and care for you. Uh, where's James? James, where are you? In the choir? Where's he at? I don't see him. I was talking to, is it James I was talking to at, uh, at supper? Oh, there he is. Okay. This story's for you. Okay? Um, you know, we're, we're at the midway point of our time together, and it's almost like that one o'clock class uh, when you're in college after lunch. You know, you got to find your second wind in order to stay with it. And I'm just, I want to encourage you to stay with it. But James and I were talking about Western Pennsylvania over supper time, and and he said that the only thing he remembers about Pittsburgh having gone there was, was on the train, on the Penn Railroad, and he remembers the rivers coming into to Pennsylvania. 
And uh, when I think about the midway point in our time together, I thought about this story. Now, when I tell this story, there's always someone that says, surely to goodness he's embellishing this one. This is not an embellishment. This is a true story. I have never been on a train before, or at least I had not been on a train before, until I was flying back from Nashville to Pittsburgh by way of Chicago one night when a major snowstorm hit Chicago, and they canceled all of the flights. So I called my secretary, and I said, I need a hotel room. I'm, I'm going to be stuck in Chicago overnight. So she called me back and said, I've got a better idea. Have you ever, would you like to ride a train? And I said, I've never been on a train. And she said, well, if you can get to Union Station, downtown Chicago, I've got a train ticket for you to get home. Uh, you'll be home first thing, 6 o'clock in the morning tomorrow. So I got a cabbie. I drove, uh, got the cab to Union Station, Chicago. I've never been on a train. And uh, so I got on. It was a very unique culture. I, it wasn't a fancy seat. It was just, you know, a, a normal seat. I went back into the club, into the uh, food cart, and I had a wonderful conversation with these two gentlemen who travel across the country on trains, you know, and they were telling me about train life. And I thought, this is really a good gig. This is really fun. So I got back to my seat, and I sat down, and there was a gentleman seated to my right, and in front of me was his wife and his daughter. And we started this conversation. And I found out that he was from South Dakota, and they were heading to West Virginia for his son's college graduation from Salem University. And, of course, being from West Virginia, I knew all about that, and we started to converse. And the evening started to unfold, and it came time, uh, you know, to kind of the lights went down and trying to get a little sleep. And it was a terrible seat on that train. So I was up a good bit of the night, but at, at a certain point in the evening, this gentleman from South Dakota, his head slipped down onto my lap, <laughs> and, and he slept all night long. And I would try to fidget a little bit, and I was in a sleep, and then every time I'd come out of sleep, there he was with his head nestled on my lap. And it was about 5.30 in the morning, and we passed Sewickley, Pennsylvania, right along the Ohio River, and we hit a bump, and he got uh, jostled, and he came up, and he wiped his eyes, and, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said, did, did I? I said, yes, you, you did. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. And, and he said, and this is a true story, Jerry, this is not a fabrication. That guy looked at me and said, I've never slept so well on a train all my life. <laughs> so, so I just want to tell you, if tonight gets a little bit boring, we're at the halfway point, just make sure you're next to somebody who'll take care of you if you nod off this evening. It'll be okay. <laughs> If you would honor the Lord with me by standing, I want to share a gospel lesson with you this evening from the third chapter of the Gospel of John. This is a very familiar passage. Uh, yesterday in the morning, we talked about Jesus advocating for a woman, a Samaritan woman who came to a well and how he affirmed her and loved her like no one else. Uh, last night, we talked about Jesus advocating for a blind man. Uh, rubbing uh, saliva and mud in his eyes and giving him sight that would uh, change his life forever. Tonight, we're going to talk about a very familiar story about an educated man, 
a man of the law, who when Jesus gets a hold of him, his life will never be the same again. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. And here's the line. Here's the line. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Hey, that wasn't too bad. Maybe see it. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? <clears throat> Loving God, we pause today and give you thanks first and foremost for a brilliant day. Not a cloud. Warm temperatures. A hint of springtime. Our, our spirits have been lifted to God just because of the day. And we thank you that you've given us opportunity to be a part of such a day. We marvel at your creative order, the changing of the seasons, the emerging of a new season, and for the opportunity that you've given to us to be a part of such a day. We pause and give you thanks this evening for simple blessings, heartbeat and breath, an opportunity to experience life, to be with one another, to be in this magnificent church and to share with friends and colleagues on the journey. We thank you for simple pleasures like chili and beef stew and basketballs and good stories and warm handshakes. All of those things that nourish us and encourage us on the journey. Lord, we thank you for that journey. And we pray that in the midst of this one slice of that journey, we might focus just enough on you 
that our lives might be touched and blessed so that we might make it to the next stage on our walk. It is an endurance test, but with you all things are possible, and for that we give you thanks. And now, God, in the midst of these moments, I would pray a personal prayer that either through me or in spite of me, you might speak to your church tonight. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I once had a parishioner who refused to visit his wife in the hospital. She was very sick. He refused to visit her in the hospital because he said, I simply just cannot handle that kind of external pain. I just can't let that kind of pain get to me. In fact, this guy would never buy a newspaper and he would never listen to CNN news. He intentionally separated himself from the mainstream of life because of the negative influences that were out there in the world. Now, that's an extreme story. It's a true story, but it's an extreme story. But the reality of it is there are people who believe that if they separate themselves from external influences, they might be better off. In fact, in my work, I can testify to you that there are churches that do exactly the same thing. Now, I don't know about you. But I like to think, I want to think, I'm desperately hopeful enough to think that my life is strong enough, my spiritual life is so sound and so healthy that I don't have to worry about external influences impacting me. It's then that I get the reality check. And I come to the clear realization that maybe I'm not so strong. How about you? Are you affected things that happen out there still I'm convinced that the real determinative factors in our lives are more internal than external and that's really what I want to talk with you about tonight are those internal influences we have more to do with how we turn out than does our external influences around us still I am convinced that (coughs) if we focus on our internal lives And if we have ourselves straight, we have the strength and the courage to be able to confront the external world around us with joy. I read a devotional a few months ago, and there was a line in that devotional that really impacted me greatly. I had to think about it for a while. In that devotional, there was this line. It said, if you find life worthwhile, it's not because you found it that way, but because you made it that way. If you find life worthwhile... It's not because you found it that way, but because you made it that way. Now, I had to think about that one. It's almost like the the cartoon of the little boy who brings the report card home from school, and he's got terrible grades, and the little bubble, the little caption in the cartoon has the little boy saying, hmm, my my environment is okay. It it surely must be hereditary. Well, Well, lots of us think that way. Whatever is wrong with our lives, we believe it's the result of what we have inherited or the circumstances under which we live. In the midst of it all, if we were to start to say to ourselves, if I could just separate myself from these external influences and create a perfect environment, I'd be just fine. We say that about ourselves. 
We say that at times about our church as well. If we could just, if we could just create this perfect environment, we'd be okay. But the truth is, none of us live in a perfect environment. Nor do any of us have an unblemished heritage. Now, there are a few of us maybe in this room who would want, maybe want to admit that. We wouldn't want to open our doors. I mean, I can't tell Jerry any more stories. He's going to open my closet whether I want it opened or not. You know, we, we don't live an unblemished life. Finding a worthwhile and meaningful life has to be found in spite of the external influences that invade our journey. Now let me suggest to you tonight that the real meaning of life is determined by the set of your mind and your heart. The real determining factor in your journey is the set of your mind and your heart. Take Nicodemus, for example. Here is a guy in this story who is extremely well-schooled. He's been through all the proper motions of law and practice. He's highly traditional in his mindset. He's very set in his ways and his orientation. But for this guy, the external show of the law was not enough for him. It just didn't seem to cut it for him. And all of a sudden, he began to open himself to change. A movement of the heart instead of the law the presence of a new vision through this man named Jesus. He had been schooled in the proper ways of the Jewish law, just like any other person in his position. But he changed his life because of a change of his mind and his heart. Jesus said those words to him. The wind blows where it will. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you must be open to a new possibility, a new vision, a new beginning. Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Now here it is, friends. Yet another simple message in the midst of a very complex world. Followers of Christ, you are called, no matter what your age, no matter what your stage in life, you are called to be open to a new vision, a new possibility. As much as we want, things will never stay the same. They can't. They're going to change. The wind is blowing. You don't know where it's coming from. And you don't know where it's going to lead you. But it's here. You must be born again. Now, I grew up in West Virginia. I, uh, I, I fondly say that 10 years ago when I moved to Western Pennsylvania, I learned how to wear shoes. I, I, I came from West Virginia. I talk in very simple language. I came from a very conservative upbringing. I have a very simple uh, pattern for my faith development. I have said for years these words and meant them truly in my heart. I was saved on June the 23rd, 1974. 
And I say whenever I say that I was saved on June the 23rd, 1974, and then I say, I've been in the process of being saved every day since then. It is a process. It is a journey. <clears throat> it is never a point where you have arrived and never a point where the journey ends. Whether you like it or not, it constantly is in motion. I've said that line for years. I was saved on June the 23rd, 1974. I've been in the process of being saved every day since then. And I've said that with a lot of joy and pride. That's about my spiritual life. And I, I celebrate that. And then all of a sudden, my body turned 50. Now, this is the point in the sermon where some of you are going to chuckle at me, and that's okay. I'm 55 years old. I don't particularly like it. The opening service yesterday, I read out of this book, and I got halfway through, and I couldn't read the print anymore, and it really bothered me. I don't like being 55 years old. I, I don't like the changes. Ah, there we go. The best spontaneous amen of the whole week happens over a bodily change. I don't care for it. And yet, if I'm going to find my way through this journey, I have to find my way to adapt to the reality that my body hasn't stopped changing, and it won't. And it ain't going to get a whole lot better. My daughter reminds me of that. My Elizabeth is 30 years old. Elizabeth calls. She's, she's very successful in her work. She's a literacy facilitator in a Hispanic school in Charlotte, North Carolina. She actually calls me and wants to talk about public speaking, which is really great. We're on the same par and talking about those things. Elizabeth calls, and when she says, Dad, I settle in for one of these wonderful conversations. But when she says, Daddy, I get my checkbook out. It's <laughs> the so way it works. You know, this it, it's... Some things change, some things don't. This journey is dynamic, it's fluid, it's like an amoeba, it's, it's, it's unpredictable. Might be the same about Boston Avenue United Methodist Church. My goodness, how easy it would be for a grand church like this to rest on your laurels and to say, we've arrived, we are Boston Avenue United Methodist Church, we are uh, a force in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've been at this work for 10 years. Uh, uh, it's not prophecy, it's reality. If you're tempted by that statement, Boston Avenue, you won't be around all that much longer because you'll grow into irrelevancy and you won't find your way. See, the wind is blowing and you don't know which way from which it comes, and you don't know the way in which it's going, but it's blowing. And this is a church, I was so blessed today to meet with this staff. They're dynamic, and they're creative, and they want to move this church forward, just in the way that it's been moving forward for all these years since the Great Depression. You're blessed. And I pray that you'll trust them enough to let them guide you into this unpredictable and chaotic future. Several years ago, I read a, a poem, a lady by the name of Ella Wheeler Wilcox wrote this poem. It's a line in that poem that has stuck with me forever. Ella Wheeler Wilcox once wrote, "'Tis the set of the sails and not the gales which determines the way to go. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales which determines the way to go. Sailors who have skill 
can cause a ship to go any direction they want it to based on the positioning of the sails. It's not dependent upon the direction that the wind's blowing. What is dependent is the skill of the sailor to position the sails so that the ship can go in the direction that it needs to go. Some winds of adversity can destroy us both personally and as a church, or they can push us to the top of the mountain. The difference is the way that we think. The difference is the way that we approach it. There's the old story of the two sailors who were both jilted by their fiancés. One of them jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. The other one, in his state of depression, wrote down this little tune called Good Night Irene. It, it was a hit from coast to coast, and it netted that guy a fortune. Same circumstances, different outcome. This is the set of the sails, but not the gales that determines the way to go. Once were two shoe salesmen. You've heard this story. I'm sure the old two shoe salesmen that went to a third world country. When they got there, the one shoe salesman emailed his wife back and said, Honey, I'm coming home tomorrow. There's no possibilities here. Nobody wears shoes. I'm coming home. The other emailed his wife and said, Honey, I won't be home for a long time. Nobody wears shoes here and the harvest is ripe. <laughs> Our mindset is the determining factor, even in how you hear this sermon. If you've had a day where you're tired and bored, you might be nodding off. And as a result, you'd say, boy, that sermon was boring. Today, you may have been concerned about something, and your mind may be somewhere else tonight. You might be thousands of miles away from this site. And you might go home and say, well, I just didn't get into it this evening. Some of you, though, have come with an open mind and an open heart. The doors of your spirit are open and ready. And as a result, no disrespect to Joel or to me, it doesn't matter what we sing, doesn't matter what we pray, and it doesn't matter what we preach. You're looking for a blessing. I, I don't know how many times in my preaching ministry. I don't know about you pastors in our, in our midst. I don't know how many times this has happened to you. But there have been significant numbers of times where I have poured my life into a sermon. I have spent hour upon hour upon hour getting ready for a sermon. I would preach it on a Sunday morning and nobody would say anything about it when I got done. I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. But there have been weeks where I've had a funeral I've had an unexpected call on a Saturday night. I have walked into a Sunday morning tired and ill-prepared, and I have walked out of church and had people say, you know, that was the best thing I've ever heard in my life. It's how we receive the Spirit in our midst. It is the set of the sails and not the gales that determines the way to go. At Boston Avenue United Methodist Church, if you want to find a mistake in the ministry of this church, you want to find a mistake in this church, guess what? You're going to find it. But if you want to find a blessing, you're going to find it too. 
It's all a matter of what you're looking for. I, I said to the staff today, one of the things that has troubled me greatly about our United Methodist Church these days is that our United Methodist Church is consumed with a negative narrative. There are so many wonderful narratives about what the United Methodist Church is doing. But there aren't many people talking about it because we're consumed with a negative narrative. See, most of us think our way into trouble and adversity. It is a spiritual discipline to think that every adversity has its opportunity. Every adversity has, a, has an opportunity attached to it. Take the Bible, for example. There is a guy in the Bible who wrote a big hunk of the Holy Bible. He wrote most of it from jail. His name was the Apostle Paul. Now, it is, it's worthwhile to think of the possibility that maybe if the Apostle Paul hadn't been incarcerated so much, we may not remember half of what he had to say. But he wrote it out of adversity. The same is true about a guy who just died. His name was Nelson Mandela, spent most of his life in a jail cell, and we probably wouldn't remember Mandela very much had it not been for what was crafted in his heart and in his soul while dwelling in a, in a, a prison cell that's no more bigger than a queen-size bed. My word to you tonight is this. Strive for a Nicodemus spirit one that seeks the presence of the Lord around and within you at all times. I think, I don't know you very well, but I think you personally, you, there's some wonderful people in this church. You are what, what a blessed pastor you are to have these folk. You, you are wonderful people. Your hospitality is just off the chart. Made me feel so warm and welcome. I think you're in a win-win situation here. What you got is really good. And I believe what you will have will be really good if you continue to open yourself to the Spirit of the living Lord in this place. It's a great church. It will be a great church in the future if you position yourself with that very same posture. If life is worthwhile, it isn't because you found it that way. God at work through you made it that way. There's countless examples of that out into the world. One of my, my favorite movies this past Christmas season was Saving Mr. Banks, the story of Walt Disney and Mary Poppins. The story of Walt Disney is just a great story. Walt Disney was not just a remarkable man. He was a remarkably happy guy. And he had a lot of things uh, working against him. In fact, there's a commercial these days that talk about all these successful people that started businesses out of garages. Walt Disney was one of them. He couldn't find work in Kansas City, so he, he finally found a pastor who was willing to pay him a little bit of money to do some drawings for the church newsletter. And he didn't have any place to live, so they put him up in a rat-infested garage. And one night, one of those mice was nicknamed Mickey, You fill in the blank. <laughs> the rest is history. But the real question to ask tonight, is there a Walt Disney right here tonight at Boston Avenue waiting for Boston Avenue to give them a garage to fulfill their dream? Could it be? Could it be? 
beyond that, how many of you tonight, whether you state it or not, whether you're harboring it quietly or whether you're an open book about it, how many of you tonight are in an awful situation? Things aren't going so well. You're trying to figure it out. You're struggling with your faith. You're not knowing how quite to figure it out. You're unsure of yourself. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're stutter-stepping a little bit with uncertainty. I guess the word I would give to you tonight is this. There's a fellowship of church members around here who will bolster you up. You're not in this alone. And I would say to you tonight that if the mountain needs climbed, climb it. Climb it. Hard climbs undertaken with the right spirit will mean that when you reach the peak, it'll be all that more satisfying. You can find a way through. And when you find that way through, the other side is glorious because you come to the realization that there have been significant people who have helped get you there and, and, there is this mystery called the Holy Spirit that nudged you with that wind blowing in that direction to get you where you needed to go. We don't find life worthwhile. We, with God's help, make it that way. The Pharisees saw Jesus as a problem. Nicodemus saw Jesus as a possibility. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that determines the way to go. Now the question inevitably is tonight, how do you find that way? How do you develop that attitude and that mindset? Well, Jesus said it himself in this gospel lesson. Jesus said, you must have faith in the Spirit of God. You must have faith in the Spirit of God. Several years ago, there was an article written about an old mountain man in Pendleton County, West Virginia. And when I read the article about the man, I, I, I used to do trout fishing over in Pendleton County, West Virginia, and I, I really just wanted to go meet this guy because the story, the, the article that was written about him was just so awe-inspiring. The, the story was about the hard life that this old mountain man in West Virginia lived. And when the interviewer interviewed him, he asked him a very simple question. He, he said to him, do you ever have any sleepless nights? And when the guy uh, responded, he said these words that just absolutely popped off the page at me. He said, sure, I've had troublesome times, but I've never had a sleepless night. And let me tell you why. When I go to bed, I bow my head and I say, Lord, you have to stay up all night anyway. There's no point in both of us losing sleep. You look after things, and when tomorrow comes, I'll do the best that I can. Now, I'll tell you what. That quote for years has gotten me through a lot of sleepless nights. What does it mean to put it in the hands of God and to think, you know, God, you got it. I don't need to worry about it. And when tomorrow comes, I'll try my best to handle it. 
Dwight Eisenhower once said, faith gives you the courage to make decisions you must make in a crisis and then the confidence to leave the results to a higher power. It's all about our attitude. Do we believe that the presence of the living God is here and available to us? Jesus said to Nicodemus, faith in you alone will disappoint You've got to trust in this higher power. And I'd say that to you tonight. If you want to hold a grudge, I can tell you that it will eat away at your soul for years to come. I, I can tell you that if you put your faith in politics, <laughs> wow, wow, I just don't know how much you will survive if that's where your faith is. I, I would even be so bold. If you put your faith in him, he will disappoint you. But if you lift him up in your daily prayers, you will find that he will have the spirit to be your pastor in ways that you could not even begin to imagine. You don't put your faith in a person. You put your faith in the one through whom that person lives and breathes put your faith in anybody in the staff and they'll disappoint you but the reality of it is we are here tonight to talk about having the right kind of attitude to realize that yes mistakes happen and yes setbacks take place and yet and yes life is disappointing but there is this presence of a spirit that blows in our midst that will guide us through it all into what we call God's preferred future. Jesus put it very simply. You must be born again. And I don't mean any disrespect to Jesus, but I would just add a few words to that. You must be born again and again and again and again. You've got to change your mindset in order to survive and put your trust in God. There once was an eagle that decided to go on a flight on a beautiful, clear day, just like we had in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a cold day, but the eagle decided that he would fly all across the region to take in God's wonderful creation. As he was flying, he noticed that there was a log floating down a river. The eagle decided to take a rest, and he would light on the log and rest his weary wings. And so he landed on the log and took in all the beautiful sights. It was a gently flowing river. It wasn't violent in any regard. It was a beautiful day. He was taking in all the sights, resting his wings on that log as it gently floated down the river. When all of a sudden, the eagle got a little bit restless. And all of a sudden, the eagle noticed that there was a sound in the distance. And he figured out that the sound was a waterfall. The eagle, being an adventuresome one, 